Like I didn't set out to be like, I'm going to destroy you. It was more like, I better get going. If I'm going to survive, it was like a fire under me to fight mm-hmm. back, to protect myself and my family rather than to undermine someone. Hi, everyone. This is Joshua Hoffman and Alex Garashenko, and welcome to another episode of the Masters in Marketing Agency podcast, where we deconstruct the why and how agency owners found their success, and in season three, discuss how to build a community and referral network. Today, I have Cheryl Broom, the CEO of Graduate Communications, a results-driven higher education marketing agency that specializes in community college marketing, research, design, campaign planning, and execution, website creation, landing page development, and testing Welcome, Cheryl. Oh, thank you. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for joining. And where I want to start uh, is a story that you did share with us last time on our last call, our discovery call, uh, which is your fourth grade public speaking competition. So uh, sorry again that you're going to have to share this, but uh, can you remind us what happened? Yeah, it was such a great question. I think Alex is the one that came up with the question on something that has shaped you from childhood for underage 12. Mm -hmm. So I shared this story about... Um, how I grew up with a speech impediment. So I had a very hard time even saying my own name because it has CH and YL sounds. And I had to go to uh, speech therapy for years in, in elementary school and do all these weird exercises like la 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 all night long. <laughs> Got pulled out of class. And uh, in fourth grade, we had a school-wide uh, speech competition and I decided to to go for it. And so I actually made it to the finals and was up on stage during the speech competition. And they made it really tough because you couldn't bring a note card up. They didn't allow anything, right? You had to memorize it completely. And uh, I had, I can't even remember the topic. I think it was like Abraham Lincoln or something political. Mm -hmm. And I was up there in front of the whole school, you know, forcing my way through the speech impediment. And I forgot the entire speech. Uh, I completely blanked out and I remember looking across the entire cafeteria and finding my mom. She was in the back of the room standing and she was crying. (laughs) She was crying for me because she was, uh, I think felt so bad that I'd finally, you know, gotten the nerve to get up and do this thing. And I had forgotten. And then I looked in the begin in the front of the audience at the kids sitting on the floor. And this one really cool sixth grade girl looked up at me and it was like something out of an 80s movie. And she said, you can do it. <laughs> and I remember my speech. <laughs> and uh, I always remember her little face down there. And she was like rooting for me. And I remember the speech and I ended up coming in last place. But I loved being up on the stage. And it helped me work on the way I speak. And then fast forward to today, I you know, had a career as a um, community college public speaking professor. I was a television news reporter. So I think that experience and overcoming um, some of my limitations helped drive the career that I that I ended up having. I I like that you remember in such detail that yeah. like it's like I know when they tell you someone that there's like when they're lying, they're supposed to give all this detail. Uh, <laughs> like you like not that you're lying, but like you gave all this detail. I was like, wow. Oh, yeah. Really- like it was yesterday. It was like the probably the first time in my life that I can really remember being like terrified and totally embarrassed. <laughs> like it's such a vivid memory. <laughs> it's, and- it's so interesting that you um, 
having a speech impediment that you decided to even do this? How did, how did that happen? Yeah, I think uh, I, I, I don't think I saw it as like a way like, oh, I'm going to do this and overcome my speech problem. I just I have always been really competitive. So they announced a competition and I'm like, well, I can do that. Like, I'm going to I'm going to be up on stage. So I just mm-hmm. went for it. And through the process of memorizing and working on that speech, it, it helped. It was just a side effect that it helped me say words better. Um, and actually, I don't think I, I think I stopped going to speech therapy in fifth grade. So I think that really did help me a lot overcome some of the the problems I had with pronunciation. And Amazing. let's not end the story there. What happened the next year? Oh, well, the next year. So fifth grade, I actually was a fifth grade handball champion. <laughs> well, I realized you were going to say that, but I'm glad you added that. <laughs> and then sixth grade, I did the speech competition again, and I came in second place. So I didn't win, but I did come in second place. And I remembered the whole speech, and uh, it was a great experience. And then I actually joined the debate team in ninth grade. So I ended up just loving speaking uh, and, and mm-hmm. kept doing it. Yeah. Yeah, it's amazing. And I guess to get to the next sensitive uh, subject, I'd like to bring up uh, your experience with state legislation. Um, Can you tell us a little bit more about your effort to change maternity and paternity leave laws uh, in California and actually why you did that? Yeah. So when I when I first started working at a college, I was in my late 20s and I worked there for a couple of years. And for those people who have worked in government in in California, you get so much sick time. Like I had like months of sick time banked because I was in my 20s, I was never sick. And then in my early 30s, I became uh, pregnant with my first son. And I went to HR to find out what our maternity policy was only to discover we didn't have one. We didn't pay into state disability. And so we got no paid time off. Now you were allowed to use some sick time to recover from childbirth, but you couldn't use any more sick time to bond with your child. So I basically got four weeks of sick time and then had to take unpaid time off. And it really pissed me off because I'm like, first of all, we have like the most, the best benefits that you can imagine, like full retirement, amazing healthcare, great salaries. And you mean you're not giving people time off to bond with their child pay time off. And I can't even use my own sick time. So I tried to change it internally for a couple of years through the college and I just didn't get anywhere. So I went to, uh, I did government relations for the college at that time too. So I brought it up to the state uh, legislature that that we were working with. And I told him, um, you know, this is ridiculous. It's my sick time. Why can't I use it? to bond with my child. And he agreed with me. So we worked on legislation together and passed a law and it actually impacted all the community colleges and K-12 school districts in California. Um, And it applied to both um, parents, both parents, fathers and mothers. So if you wanna use your sick time as a dad now in California as a state employee to bond with your child, or if you adopt a child, and want to use your sick time to bond with that child, uh, you're now allowed to. So it passed It passed unanimously and was signed into legislation um, about six or seven years ago. Actually, more than that, nine years ago, because then I had another kid and I used my I sick time. 
I used all six months of it. <laughs> I was going to say, did you get to take advantage of this thing you put yeah. into law? Mm-hmm. It's funny because my boss, um, he was like, well, if anybody was going to change this, it, it was you. I should have expected you to go do this. And he's like, have you been waiting to have a baby until the law was changed? Because <laughs> my children are eight years apart. But no, it just happened that way. And uh, I did benefit from it. And I was very proud of it. I learned a lot about um, state government. And I don't know, for those listening, if something upsets you, go talk to your representative because you can brainstorm ways that they can help you. Well, I want to get to what you actually just said about your boss and where they, they said, you know, of course you would do that. And yeah. the reason I did bring up those two stories is because I want to spend more time talking about motivation because I think both of them are stories of motivation. Um, so you know, I guess I'll start with the very basic first question of like, where, why do you think that you harness this motivation and actually make a difference where everyone else gets pissed off maybe, but they don't, maybe it dries off and then they don't, they don't use it or whatever it is, but you actually use that motivation to make like real change or to put yourself in a better position or whatever it is. So can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. When we were talking before this interview, you had a term and and you called it fu motivation, <laughs> which I, totally getting up there. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Which I loved. I'm like, oh my gosh, that is such a great term. Like, I think that's amazing. Uh, you know, I think a lot of entrepreneurs are probably the same in that we're the type of people when you say you can't do something, you're like, oh yeah, well watch me. <laughs> um, so I I think you know you're motivated by a lot of things and overcoming obstacles or being challenged is something that has always motivated me. So a lot of things that I personally do in my life are things that I'm really bad at or, or haven't achieved something. And it kind of makes me not mad, but it just challenges me to try harder and and to keep going. So I, I'm very much motivated by challenge rather than discouraged by it. And I think that's interesting. Like the, the, the Maricosta um, example, the, the college, I mean, women have been putting up with this for years. I mean, every woman at every community college for the last 50 years have been told that they didn't get maternity leave and they couldn't use their sick time past, you know, four to six weeks. And I was just shocked that nobody did anything about it. Like, they're just like, okay, I guess that's the law. Okay. Um, so it just yeah, motivated me. Forward. We could do something. Yeah. Yeah, pressing forward on that, I think it's uh, it's dangerous for anyone to um, <clears throat> kind of stand in your way. I know when you were starting your company, you had told us a story of a um, someone trying to enforce or your previous employer trying to enforce a non-compete. Can you tell us a little bit about that as much as you can share? Because I think that was a, a huge um, uh, showcase of FU motivation and what you actually yeah. did with it. Yeah, so this, I think this topic I'm, I'm, love to talk about because as an agency owner, you always want to protect your intellectual property and you want to, you know, you bring people on and you train them and you don't want them to leave and go open their own business. And I did that. I I was a president of another agency and I was offered a certain percentage uh, of the business to come on board as president. However, my contract said that that owner stake would be executed in a separate agreement. So for four years, I asked for the separate agreement to be written. And after four years, it became very clear that that part of my contract was never going to be honored. So I quit and I opened my own company and I was very um, honest about 
that. I wrote a letter and said, because you won't uphold my contract, I will be leaving on this day and I will be opening my own agency. And, you know, they wished me well and then filed a lawsuit against me in another state outside of California to execute my do not compete clause. Um, luckily for me, and um, I discovered in California, do not compete clauses are illegal and making somebody sign a do not complete clause is illegal. In addition to having it in my contract, the fact that I signed it was against the law as well. So it became a pretty easy thing to fight, but it did take a year and it was really upsetting. So I do not recommend it to anybody <laughs> going going this route. It, um, but what it did for my company, and I think this is something that I've learned in my personal life too. When bad things happen to you, you get to a place, when you get to a place of gratitude for that bad thing, then you've really healed from it. And I look back and I feel a lot of gratitude, both for my time as president, because I learned how to run an agency. I mean, I did the books, I did the sales, I hired, I fired, I did it all. And I'm grateful even for the lawsuit because I was going to like surf and golf for like a month after quitting. I was like going to take my time and kind of figure out what my niche would be. And instead I'm like, oh, well, I have legal bills now. <laughs> like I better get some clients like right now. And so within three months of starting the business, uh, I grew, my husband um, started it with me and we grew it to 10 clients. And now three years later, you know, we have 50 clients and we're working with colleges across the US. And now that wouldn't have happened as quickly if I hadn't have been sued. <laughs> so I'm at a place now where I'm like, you know, it was a terrible experience and I don't wish it on everyone, but it, but I'm grateful that it motivated me to grow the business as fast as I did. So maybe this is a totally unfair question, but without that lawsuit, um, do you think you'd be in the same spot with the agency? It just would have taken longer. Do you think maybe like you, you would have never had your foot on the pedal as much because of that moment? What it, was that? Oh yeah. Happened? I think it would have taken longer. Like honest, we had saved up, my husband and I had saved up money and he's always been um, an entrepreneur himself. He's in digital marketing and I have a background in higher ed. So we're like, this would be perfect. We'll start a business together. Let's take our time though. Let's not make the same mistakes that we've seen our other employers make. And it was in the middle of COVID. So it was um, June, 2020 when I gave notice. So we did not anticipate things to go fast. And I was just learning how to play golf because it was COVID. There's nothing else to, else to do but golf. And I was really into it. And I'm like, I'm going to golf and I'm going to surf and I'm going to go to like spend all this time with my children. And yeah, and then we had bills to pay and it, then it became like livelihood. Like we can't blow through our savings paying attorneys. Like I got to hit the ground running and it, and it pissed me off. I'm like, you, you like jerked my chain for four years. Like, I don't even know if that's a good, the right saying. Mm -hmm. But you like led me on for four years with this contract and now you're going to sue me? Like, fuck you. Like, there's your fuck you energy right there. So I'm like, <laughs> you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to take, I'm going to take all my clients back. And that's kind of what happened is I started, you know, going to my clients, telling them about my new business and one by one, they moved over, um, they moved over to us and I wouldn't have approached it with such, um, aggression otherwise. So, no. No, and and I just want to talk about that for one more second that, you know, 
we all do look for motivation and there are positive and, and negative motivators. And we like to believe and hope that we can stick in the world of positive motivators. Like, yeah. oh, I'm going to do this for my family and do this because uh, for myself and all that kind of stuff. And, and don't get me wrong. I think that's that does motivate a lot of people. But there's like almost this like other level of motivation when you're like, yeah. and, and again, so I'm sure the psychology and all these tests around <laughs> why people are like this, but like when you get that FU motivation, it's, it's very powerful. And a lot of times it's more yeah. powerful than anything that you can even do with these positive motivators as well. Um, and you can't, you can't use it. Like you can use it for bad or you can use it for good. So I've always not tried to use it for bad. Like I didn't set out to be like, I'm going to destroy you. It was more like, I, I'm, I better get like, I better get going. If I'm going to survive, it was like a fire under me to, you know, to fight mm-hmm. back, to, pr- to protect myself and my family rather than to undermine someone. So I always have felt like that type of energy has been like for good, even, even with the whole like parental leave. Like I was, I was like, how can it be like this? Like we've got to change it. So use that energy. People should use that energy for good um, to make change. No, I, I and, and just to maybe kind of round out that uh, that thought, I think what's very important is not to just leave it in the world of motivation too. You have to move it into a discipline. Mm-hmm. Um, so at the end of the day, like I, I believe that motivators have like this half-life and and every single day or every single whatever week it is, it, you just lose that oomph that you had for even if it's a FU motivator, if it's a positive motivator. And I think what the goal is, is to turn that motivator into a discipline as quickly as possible. And then you're doing the discipline, not because you're being pushed because of something that pisses you off, but because you know that what the end goal is. And now you have a plan to actually get there. And we call that discipline. So I think it's yeah, uh, not just saying the world of discipline, but turning into a, or a motivation, but turning into a discipline. And um, even like, like in that, our line yeah, of use work. Use it as a spark. Yeah, you this as a spark. And, you know, we, in the agency line of work, you we write a lot of proposals, especially our company that works exclusively um, with public institutions, we have to do a lot of RFPs and bid responses and, and we lose a lot of them. And so that's part of that FU motivation too. It's like, why are we losing these? Like I, I need to dig into this. Like we need to change what we're doing. And we did that last year uh, as a company, we uh, looked at other successful bids of other agencies and we dug ours apart and, and then our win rate skyrocketed. So sometimes it's taking like the, you know, you lose to somebody better than you and you've, you can't just be like, oh, okay. Like, nah, I lost. Like you got to make a change. You got to keep moving forward. That, no, I think that was perfect. And I guess I'm going to keep going down this because I, I love this conversation. Um, you obviously are involved in a lot of sports and activities and things mm-hmm. like that. And you mentioned last time that it's important for you um, that you hire people with either hobby or passion outside of work. Um, what do you find in those people? Why do you hire those type of people? Yeah, we have, so we have a really creative team and we have people who are musicians, professional authors, who huge sports fans, even um, athletes. And I think that people that have that um, drive in their life just bring a lot of enthusiasm and, and, you know, challenge to the workplace. So we we like to hire people who are outgoing and and who have passion because they bring that passion and it makes work more interesting. Passion was the if you didn't say it I was going to say it too. Yeah. I think I think there's a difference between people that have passion and don't. Some people they just clock in and they just do what they have to do, but when I think you're passionate and you get a passionate workforce, um, there's the people that go above and beyond. There's the people that yeah. maybe do put in the time after the nine to five because a project needs to get done this week and things like that. So I think a lot of times that's the difference is 
uh, when they're passionate about anything, then you can at least get that passion out of them in, in a work setting as well. Yeah, um, I, think, yeah. I think that usually people that have hobbies, things that they love, they're committed, right? And and those are the type of people that will hopefully commit to the business and your ideals as well. As you're hiring, is there um, are there certain ways that you can filter that out when meeting with someone? Yeah, so um, we actually... Uh, you can't ask like personal questions, obviously, like, oh, right. you know, <laughs> what do you do on the weekend? But yeah, how people uh, do small talk is really important, their energy. And we just started giving disc profiles. Um, so our last, actually, we just hired three people at once and we gave all of them a disc profile and they are for uh, jobs that are client facing. So we wanted people who were in the dominant and influential section of the disc profile because they have to like drive mm-hmm. projects and they have to talk to clients, they have to be extroverted. And we used that profile as a final screening. We were only going to hire one person, but we had three that were so impressive. We we're like, okay, let's just go for it and see. Let's just hire all three. Uh, and they all fit within the the profile that we wanted. And they've done fantastic. And it was such a great, it was a, a lot to hire three people because we're only, only have nine full-time employees right now. So that's a big jump for us. Um, but it was the, definitely the right decision to make. And that profile was a great tool. And then we could talk about it with them in the final interviews. Mm-hmm. Like, were you surprised that you're dominant? And because um, a lot of people think like I'm dominant in the disc profile and I don't think it's negative. And our new employees didn't think it was negative either. They were like, no, that's great. We are dominant. Like we want to get work done. Like <laughs> people who don't fall in the D think maybe that it's not so great because they think you're being like domineering. But dominance isn't domineering. It's just having drive. And so that was a good way to measure that. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's really good in knowing how that profile works mm-hmm. and seeing it in others. Um, I found it really helpful in understanding how do you how you uh, communicate with them. Like these, you need to communicate in a certain way for them to um, really hear what you're saying. And um, they love the conflict. Like they love the, um, you know, they they want to work through stuff and battle through stuff. So you have to you have to stand your ground. Otherwise, it's your you know, um, your points will not be as heard. Yeah, that's oh, really that great because we we did this thing as a company where everybody took the the profile, and we have some people who are in the C and S like the support, and I don't remember what the C is, but conscientious. And as a dominant, I'm pushing all the time, pushing, pushing, and then the people who are lower in the profile in the C or S part, they can be taken aback by that pushing. Like it's not Mm -hmm. comfortable for them and they feel like it's criticism. So it was really great for me to say like, oh my gosh, look, it tells me other people might think I'm being critical and I'm not being critical. This is just, I just push, like that's my personality. Mm -hmm. I see something and I'm going to push it to be better. Not that I'm criticizing you at all. I'm just wired that way. And so it was actually really- You want to get somewhere. Yeah, I want to get somewhere. And so I'm, I might do it by asking a lot of questions and and throwing out a lot of ideas. And it doesn't mean your idea is bad. It's just it's just the way I operate. And so I remember mm-hmm. one of my employees, like a light bulb went off because she's very quiet and, mm-hmm. and intrinsically motivated and introverted. And I could tell she was a little relieved to hear that. Like, oh. 
So it was a good conversation. We've, mm-hmm. we've talked about it before, but uh, similar, you know, with old companies that I've, I've been a part of with Myers-Briggs of, of just, oh, that's why that person thinks like that. Oh, that's why that person answers like that. And it doesn't just have to be like you hitting your head against the wall. Like they're, now you understand the purpose of why they do those things. So I think that's, uh, I'm glad. I'm yeah. Glad yeah. Our creative director came um, in as conscientious and he's a, he's a published author and uh, used to be a university professor and he's all like, whenever we do college brands, he's like, I need more time. I need more time. And, and I'm always like, you, you have like 40 hours for this project. Why do you need more time? And then when he came in as conscientious, we just cracked up because it's, that's the type of person that actually needs time to think. And so I'm the person that's like, come on, let's go, let's go, let's go. And he's the person that needs to just sit and think. So we got a good laugh about the details. that. Yeah, mm-hmm. he needs the details and the thinking and the mm-hmm. he needs the time. So we actually adjusted uh, some of our time allocations based on those conversations we had from the disc profile. I I think the the thing I want to highlight that you just said is like it's not like we understood this and just went okay cool and then moved forward. Like there were actual changes that were yes. made, and that impacts the entire company and. Uh, especially the foundation and then everything above that can grow a little bit better. Um, so I'm glad that you highlighted that it wasn't just a, Oh, we read it. And then we laughed at each other and, and yeah. felt, I mean, it was like actual changes were made in all that. So I think that was important. And then to stay on the topic of employees and, and how that is, you know, naturally building your community of your, of your company. Um, you guys do work remotely now, correct? Yes. Yeah. So, so you- we, Oh, go ahead. No, I think you're about to answer it anyway. So continue. Oh, we have nine full-time employees. And then we have two interns, which has been great. Having interns is so much fun. And then we have uh, a lot of subcontractors that we you know, are loyal to and that are loyal to us. So we have a pretty big team and it's very distributed. And so we, we try, we do meet once a week together as a team for half an hour Monday morning. And then everything else is done via Slack or phone calls or Zoom. But we are we have made a commitment for our full time employees to see each other once a year. So we um, we are doing we do a like retreat once a year. So this year we're going up to the San Francisco area in April, and everybody we pay everybody to fly in for a couple of days. And last year we did it in San Diego, and that's where we did the disc profile. Uh, so I figured I don't have to pay for an office, but I I need to invest that. In another way, we can get to know each other. It's really important to look at somebody face-to-face. I think it's critical. Well, that's kind of what I wanted to highlight is, you know, how do you keep your culture and how do you keep employees motivated when everyone is um, remote? Is there anything else that you do, like you think that's a little more special or or is special um, that maybe you would have done if everyone was in the same office? You know, I don't know if we do anything particularly special, but one thing that we did implement this year that's made a big difference for us is Slack. And I was kind of like, you know, we have teamwork, which is our project management software, and we have email, and we have telephones, <laughs> we telephones. And um, I'm like, I don't want another platform. But I think when you're remote, your culture becomes much more written, because you can't just like pop in and talk to someone. Um, so investing in, in Slack and getting that those channels built out really made us more efficient. And now people chat all the time. We have a channel just for compliments. So yeah. people go in there and give each other compliments constantly, which I think is really has created a positive environment. Uh, 
That's a, a great one. So I think using Slack and then having that compliments channel has built a nice culture as well. You you did mention something last time that I do want to highlight because I thought it was it was pretty special. And that is, uh, I know it sounds silly, but like you write handwritten holiday cards and gifts. Um, you mentioned that you you give birthdays off, which like seems so simple and, and obvious, but it's definitely not something that everyone does and flexible PTO options. Mm-hmm. So um, yes, you know, I think there's a lot that, that you guys do uh, to really highlight that. I actually want to take a step back because I was intrigued and I wrote this question and I, I want to get back to it. But, you know, you mentioned uh, when you were starting the agency, having to get the clients really quickly. How did you get your first client? Like, how did you get a client from zero to one so quickly when you when you kind of had to? Yeah, so we I, I gave notice on a Monday and I and I quit on a Monday because uh, I was like, well, if I'm going to open my own business, like the former CEO doesn't want me hanging around <laughs> like. You know, so so we talked, she and I talked um, and she's like, yeah, I want you to leave today. And I said, okay, great. And then I hadn't told anybody. I hadn't told my clients. I hadn't told my coworkers. So I took that afternoon to call each of my coworkers and and just let them know that I was going to be leaving and opening my own agency. And I didn't get into the whole reason why, just this is what we're doing. And then two days later, I called all of my clients. Now, a lot of my clients I had personal relationships with because I was a marketing director at a community college for 10 years and had served on national boards and had done a lot of conferences. So a lot of my clients were people I'd known for 15, 20 years. And so then I called them and let them know, hey, I'm going to be starting my own company. And one right off the bat was like, hey, I've got a project for you. And so that Friday, I wrote a proposal. I didn't even have letterhead. <laughs> I like wrote in and I wrote like made some weird letterhead. I went on Fiverr Thursday night and got a five dollar logo for the company, <laughs> um, so that I could write a proposal Friday. And then um, the next Friday is when I got served with paperwork. So I had a, one client in the first two weeks, and I was like, oh, I don't. I mean, I had nothing. Like, not, we had no website. We had nothing. Um, I came up with the name graduate communications because graduation's the pinnacle of success in higher education. It's, it's where you want your student to end up to graduate with certificate, a degree, something um, to show what they've learned and then to go from there. And so I had the name, but nothing else. So I just made phone calls. And then um, we, when we had to really vamp up, I just really hit the ground running, you know, making calls, sending emails, giving ideas. Um, I sponsored, uh, I did a trade at a conference that helped me grow a lot. I did research for a higher education conference in exchange for a speaking spot and a booth because I had no money to pay for any of that. So I did research for them and they gave me a keynote opportunity and that um, from there really helped us grow our business. How did you get that? That's interesting. How did that even come up? Yeah, well, so my I was really lucky in my former, when I left the college, um, the woman who replaced me, I had recruited and she became president of an organization, a higher ed organization. So I called her and I said, hey, I have an, a research idea. Um, has anybody ever in the state of California asked marketing directors at community colleges what their budgets are? Because I always would get asked like, what's my competitor spending? You know, nobody knows how much is being allocated to marketing. What if I do a brief survey and write a white paper for all of your community colleges on how much everybody's spending? 
then they could give it to their college president and be like, hey, look, you've only given me 40 grand this year, but so-and-so down the street spending 1.5 million. And she said, oh, that's a great idea. So I was able to do a simple survey. She gave me, you know, the contact list of all the marketing directors in California. Um, and then I wrote a paper. And then they put me on, they put me on the podcast talking about it. <laughs> so I got all this like free publicity from this research project. Um, and then I spoke at the conference too. So amazing. And that's direct yeah. to your target market. Oh, a direct hundred percent. So marketing directors at community colleges are our target audience. So this got me in front of everybody in California. So I'll, uh, I'll use that story as an excuse to, to now just take a step back again. And can you just tell us more about the firm and specifically yeah. uh, your niche? I, I think it's very important to highlight that, you know, Everyone thinks that they need to start a niche. Not many people do or they get out of it very quickly. But not only do you have a specific niche, but you, you're you staying in it and, and you're trying to master it. So again, can you tell us a little bit more about the firm uh, and again, why you chose that niche, which you kind of explained a little bit there, but uh, and why you stayed in the niche? Yeah, so we, uh, we are a firm that works exclusively with higher education clients, but really we work with community colleges. And even I have sometimes... Like, I really should make our website say community colleges and not higher education uh, because I, I think niching down is so important. And just as a little side note, we haven't done that because we do have a couple of four-year university clients, though they are community college marketing directors who moved to four-year. So even them, <laughs> they have a tie to community college. So my background is in community college marketing. I It is a very complicated world. We've lost some big RFPs to agencies that are broader, that are like full service and that do all sorts um, of marketing. And I will tell you, 75% of the time, they get fired within the first year. And then the college comes back to us because they don't know the lingo, the language, the bureaucracy, the hierarchy, the decision-making structures. So when you really niche into one area, you understand the world and not just the marketing world. So, so we, you know, we don't just get hired to do digital marketing. Like we're getting hired now to research uh, college who wants to rename itself um, to help them write grants. We bring them ideas because we've seen an Another college was successful with this. And we can say, hey, have you seen what this college has done? We can help you get this off the ground. So you really start to understand your client's business and you can bring such innovative solutions and suggestions to them. So I, I encourage anybody out there who's looking to grow their business to look at, have you worked in one type of area really well that you could niche in? Because it, it becomes a a huge selling point and a big advantage to you and to your clients too. So I don't have any, I don't want to expand into anything else. <laughs> kind of, that's kind of yeah. what I was going to ask. Yeah. My last question on that was, you know, have you been enticed to go into, an, uh, it, to add a category? Have you been pushed with a lot of dollars in a direction for a project that you said no, or are still exploring? Like, ha have you been in that situation at all where you almost had the opportunity to expand? Yeah. So yes. So there was a K-12 school district that wanted us to do marketing for them. And I was like, we don't, we don't do K-12, but the board member is our client at a community college. So he serves on the board of a K-12 district. And so he called and he said, can you just do this as a favor? Um, please help our district out 
were struggling with enrollments and they actually had an amazing amount of money to spend. I couldn't believe that a K-12 school district had the budget they did. Um, and so we did take that on. And that's one thing I think I would tell other agency owners is just because your niche doesn't mean you have to say no to opportunities. You know, we made an exception and we marketed free preschool and we, um, like blew up their preschool program. <laughs> like they were full with waiting lists, um, when we were done marketing it. So it was fun. It's, it, it was adorable to have little like preschoolers on our ads <laughs> <laughs> like it was, rather than college yeah. students. So my staff appreciated it a little bit. Um, so we did take that opportunity. One thing we don't do, and I say this regularly is, um, we do do websites. We do landing pages. We'll do small program pages. But full college websites, we do not do. And I get asked pretty frequently to bid on websites, uh, and I turn those down because it's not our area of expertise. We might help a college research or maybe lay out a page or strategize what content needs to go in, but we do not do development. And I have probably turned away like 15 to 20 opportunities Um because it's not our area of expertise and it's not something that we want to become experts in. So we refer, we'll refer them to other companies that do a good job. Um, and so that is one area where I, I, I've had to really say, no, we're not going to do this. It would break our business. We're not, even though it's lucrative, it's not what we're good at. So. Yeah, no, I think yeah. that's perfect. That I also want to highlight that you also did not even get out of the education when, when you were debating, you know, uh, taking on this project, it was still within education. And yeah. I think that shows how niche uh, yeah. you guys focus is that you said, even though this is K to 12, it's it's the same subject um, as in, you know, uh, education, um, but still, you know, hesitated on, on taking that on. So I, I think that shows how niche you guys stay and, and want to stay. Um, Alex, were you going to say something? Oh, yeah. I was just saying it's, um, it's a structure wise for a company and organization. Um, Focusing on that is just on, on on website development is a whole separate mindset. Yeah. So yeah, I actually uh, you know kudos to you for saying that's something that we don't want to handle and putting the you know putting the guardrails on that to really keep your team focused and probably helps optimize your processes a lot. As well. It does, and the clients actually appreciate it. So I'll tell clients, they'll be like, "Hey, we're we're going." Not to bid on a website, we really love you to bid. And, and I will tell them, you know, this, we don't bid on websites. You really want to look for an agency that does higher education websites. And they are, there are a lot of them out there and that's all they do, higher education websites, and they have a process they follow and, and find somebody with a great process that specializes just in this. And the clients really appreciate that. If we would have, if we would take on their website, we'd probably break our relationship with them because we wouldn't, we don't have a process. We're not great at it. Like I would rather stick to what we know we can do really well. Yeah, no, I think that's great. Um, and then a few questions I asked at the end. Um, if you had to teach something to other marketers, what would it be? Oh, wow. <laughs> um, I think being a good listener, I see, I see a lot of, I hear a lot of problems when I come in, when our agency comes in after failed relationships with other agencies. I will always ask, uh, "What? why did your last agency not work out for you? And usually it's because they didn't take the time to listen and to find out what the true 
problem was. They just jumped right into solutions. And now even in my scopes of work that I write, I usually put blocks of time to strategy rather than just jumping straight to a solution. And early in my agency career, I actually would write strategies in my proposal and give it to the client. Be like, Here you go. Here's your strategy. Here's what we're going to execute without listening and doing the time to talk to people on campus to really understand the root of the problem. And now we've changed that internally where most of the time we have strategy hours built in before we write full scopes of work so that we can listen. And that makes our projects a lot more successful. So I, I think that would be my advice to marketers is, you know, sometimes we're, we're so eager to jump to the solution and sometimes we just need to slow down and, and do a little bit more listening to find out what the true problem is. I think that's great. I think that's, you know, focusing, not just focusing on the shiny object, but realizing there's a plan to get to there and then you can look at the shiny object. I, I like that. Um, the next couple of questions are really focused on this idea of, again, we're trying to build this community with our guests that we don't want you to just go after this call. We want to help support you. And the way we're doing that is, um, you know, obviously there are a lot of referrals that go around everywhere between marketing agencies. No marketing agency can do everything perfectly. Um, so a lot of times they're obviously talk to another marketing agency about a service maybe they provide. So you can kind of fill in whatever the, the gaps that the client needs. So the question is, how can you work with other marketing agencies or what service can you partner with other agencies? So in other words, you know, what do agencies tend to reach out to you for? I mean, we're so niched um, that we don't get asked a lot, like, can you, can you come and do video or can you do this? But I do get asked to assist with strategy for agencies who have community college clients. So I have um, helped other agencies think through strategy or think through ideas uh, and even help them with their pricing. And that's not anything that I charge for. So if you have listeners that are like, God, I have this, we're really struggling with this community college. I've been our client for three years. Um, I'm happy to jump on a call and talk through some strategies and ideas to help support you. And um, so that's something that we can definitely help with. Yeah. Or or if you don't know acronyms, <laughs> there's like 1,000 higher education acronyms. Just shoot me a message on LinkedIn and I'll tell you what it means. <laughs> that's good. I like that. I didn't even yeah. think about that. Um, and so like flipping that question around, if a client was to ask, you know, can you do this and it's a service you don't currently provide, how do you typically handle that request? And I know you kind of answered this already, but if you can repeat that. Yeah, we have we have a bank of subcontractors we work with. And then we also belong to um, an agency peer group. And it's not affiliated with anyone. It's just a group of agencies that decided to get together and and become our own group. And there's 10 agencies in our group right now. And I think we're growing to 12 at our next meeting. And we meet twice a year in person and then just email each other uh, regularly with questions. And they are just amazing because if we don't do something, I can pop into uh, our email and just ask, hey, do any of you guys do this or do you know anybody? Just this morning, somebody said, hey, we got invited to do this big bid in this hospitality sector. Have any of the other, other agencies worked in the hospitality sector? And one of the other agencies said, oh, yes, we have a ton of hospitality work. We have case studies. Let's talk offline. Maybe we can partner on this bid. So it's really been fantastic to have this group of individuals um, that and, and plus they know, you know, I love it because we're new. We're only three years in and every problem I bring, somebody in the group's already been through. <laughs> so we have some agencies who've been around for 20 or 30 years. Um, and so their advice is just amazing. 
I, I love that. That's a, a lot of what we're trying to do with this group is, is something similar and, and trying to make it as easy as possible and everything. So I'm glad you shared that. Um, if you were a couple more or a few more questions, if you were listening to this show, what topics would you like us to cover? Oh, well, um, I mean, I've listened to your shows and I love and I love talk, listening to other leaders. So I think you're doing the right thing by interviewing other CEOs. Uh, I, I would love to hear some things that I could share with my team. So, for example, my creative director, this is his first job as a creative director and we're a new agency. So he's like, I don't even know what I'm supposed to be doing. Like, do you have there? Are there any resources for creative directors or groups I can join? And, and we haven't found anything for him. And the same with our client services director. So what do these successful positions look like at agencies? How do you utilize them? What are growth opportunities? It'd be interesting to hear things like that. You know, there's so many podcasts out there about AI and digital marketing. And I mean, those I can Google AI podcast and get a thousand episodes, but the inner workings of an agency and how to help your own employees grow and succeed in their roles would be something I, I personally would love to listen to. Yeah, no, I, I, I love that. I think that's, we'll try to get a question in for the next one. Um, are you guys looking to hire any positions right now? Yes, we are. Um, we actually are recruiting an art director so we've grown to the point with our creative services that we need um, somebody to work with our creative director on design and video services. So if you go to gradcom.com and to, I think, about, you can see the job opportunity. Oh, perfect. Yeah. And the last question, and maybe my favorite, uh, any books, podcasts, or newsletter recommendations? It can be in marketing. It doesn't have to be business. doesn't have to be anything. Yes. <laughs> Um, so podcasts, I listen to, um, I listen to your podcast and I listen to build a better agency podcast, which is, um, Drew McCullen's podcast. And then I listen to two Bobs, which is, um, David Baker and Blair ends. I think his name is, those are all agency podcasts and I, and I love them all. Um, and they cover all three of your podcasts are very different. So I have them uh, loaded up and ready to go. So I really recommend I really recommend those. And then I, I have fun podcasts that I listen to as well. Um, I, I, God, I have so many. I love a good murder podcast. <laughs> if anybody else has any true crime ones, they can send to me, please do. Uh, and and so I think those are the best business ones I, I that I listen to right now. Don't do as much reading as I used to. I used to be an incredible reader, but now with two kids in the business, um, Walking the dog and listen to podcasts is where where I am. Sure, so, well, let's just we'll yeah, let's just, yeah. Um, and and Smartless is a good one too. That's that's one of my favorite ones. So that's uh, a that's a very popular podcast. So I'm sure your your um, listeners probably have heard of that. Perfect. And as we come up to the end of the episode, I just want to give you an opportunity to mention how people can find you and anything else you'd like to end with. Yeah. So uh, our website is gradcom.com. And, or you can go to graduatecommunications.com. We actually rebranded and shortened our name about a year and a half ago because all of our clients were calling us Gradcom. So um, we we just renamed our website that, and that's what we call ourselves. But our legal name is still Graduate Communications. And I'm on LinkedIn. I use that a lot. I use it to connect with people. Uh, I use it for business. So yeah, you can find me, Cheryl Broom, on LinkedIn or graduate communications there and, and would love to connect. I'm always happy to talk to people. I love meeting new people. 
So if you're interested in higher education or community college marketing, um, don't hesitate to reach out and connect with me. And I, I got to say, before I do my last, last little line here, what are those things called? The pins? Uh, do they have, a, they have a special name? Yours is great. Oh, Yours thanks. You know, I haven't worn my um, my brooch. That, I knew I it had a pin. That's right. For those That's people right. listening, I have a very shiny brooch on today. I was getting dressed this morning. I'm like, I'm going to be on podcast. I need something <laughs> to stand out. <laughs> better than I highlighted there. It looks, it looks good. <laughs> so good. I love it then. Um, well, thank you so much for coming on the show. And for those of you who have learned something new from this episode, please consider giving us a like or a follow so we can continue getting the highest quality of guests. And as always, thank you for listening. Cheryl, this was great. This is perfect. Thank you so much for coming on. Well, thank you for inviting me. I've had a great time and it's great to get to know you both. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Masters in Marketing Agency podcast. I hope got a ton of value out of this episode. And before we go, I just want to thank our sponsors, DevNoodle. DevNoodle provides marketing agencies with the ability to offer their clients unlimited website design, build, and management services with fixed monthly plans. If website design, development, and maintenance is holding your agency back from growing, please reach out to us at devnoodle.com, where we make websites easy, easy for you and easy for your clients, devnoodle.com.